We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 246 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to here on 246. Uh, not a full day, not not 24-7, so two, just just 2 four, six. We'll there take a go. day off. Um, but we do have to talk about college basketball. March Madness rolls on. Very exciting weekend number one as we uh, dip our toe into the Sweet 16 pool on Thursday night. Uh, we also have to talk about more free agency movement across the NFL that will uh, dominate the lion's share of the pod but uh maybe we go a little maybe we go a little buy or sell format there as well matt see if uh see if you can put your general buy manager some cap on. like it yeah put your general manager cap on see if you like the numbers really crunch the numbers for the people everybody knows uh, but what let's begin guy. as we always begin matt how are you uh you know i, I i'm good uh, i learned that you and i were dead wrong on tennessee and that brick barnes just cannot be trusted come tournament time yeah i don't know if we're dead wrong in the finals I know, but like, show me someone's bracket who looks good right now. I'm, like, just, I'm not, I'm, I'm I'm giving not us all that worried. I'm giving us um, both a little bit of crap. It's well, you got to have the sex. You got to have a sexy pick in there. Tennessee was the sexy pick this That's year, true. and uh, fair point. They were the lights came on at the club. Let's say you know they, they looked a little different. <laughs> they looked a little different when closing time came around. Uh, that's a fair point. I just I, I, that was that was one of the more shocking games to me because I and Michigan's got some talent. I just I. They've been so inconsistent all year. I did not see them putting it together, but but they did. Yeah, I was I wrong, think, and now we see them tonight. I think I think March Madness is one of those um, one of those times a year, and one of those sort of uh, oddities where you can lean into some of the boneheaded stuff, like hey, team with a chip on their shoulder, uh, felt disrespected, had the fight earlier in the season. Like you have to look into like motivation a lot of times because again. It's garbage basketball. Mm-hmm. These teams are not going. These teams are not going to be separated by a whole lot. Like the ceiling for shooting percentage and the floor is so widespread that yes, you will have some lopsided games, but more likely than not, teams are hovering just north of that floor, and it's going to be. That, that's I guess what I'm getting at is that that's what creates the drama is the um, equity in struggles. Like everybody struggles from the field, and that creates big moments late in games, which mm-hmm. is great. But then you will get a blowout game where it doesn't make sense that the 11 seed beat the two seed, the three seed. But that's because the 11 seed shot it at their ceiling and the two seed shot it closer to their floor. And I think that that's uh, when you boil it down to the numbers, that's a lot of what you're getting in March Madness. But we do have a, uh, a solid Sweet 16 field. I believe three of the one seeds, yeah, three of the one seeds still alive. So you're likely to see a Final Four you know, including at least at two least of one them of them would be my guess. Yeah, at least with the very least one. Um, Thursday's offering includes Gonzaga and Arkansas leading things off on CBS. Should be a fun one. Villanova and Michigan, which is a rematch of the 2018 national title game. Texas Tech and Duke is a two versus three. Going to be another hard-fought battle, 939 Eastern on CBS. And then it wraps up with Arizona and Houston, which is a real clash of styles. Arizona wanting to score 100 points. Houston uh, wanting to pick you up at the half court and make everything hard on you all night long. So it's I really, really like Thursday's matchups, yeah. these eight teams. Um, if you told me in a week that any one of these eight teams – won the national title, I'm not sure I'd be all that surprised outside of Michigan just because of their seeding and how they played throughout the regular season. But they are looking like postseason Michigan right now, so I'm not sure that it would surprise me all that much either. Yeah, they're starting to get like the reputation that Tom Izzo's Michigan State teams – I don't. It's, it's not a knock on Tom Izzo. Like they ran into a good Duke team that they played really well, and honestly I thought – their best had, comes out when it needs to. Yeah, I, Michigan's starting to be that. Like their regular season, yeah. as much as I don't like to say it because I don't like Michigan, like – they're they just have to get there and once they're there that like the reputation now kind of the coaching staff with Juwan Howard like they just have guys there that know how to win and that is a trait that is you know passed on from I can't remember the point guard who was the uh Derek Walton Derek was Derek Walton something like that the guy that was the point guard when they won the Big Ten tournament and then they made a run to the to the national championship where they lost to uh to Villanova like I feel like since that team like they've been kind of 
become this tournament team that it doesn't matter where they, where they're ranked if they're an 11 if they're a three if they're a two they're gonna be mm-hmm. really tough out um that said i think they're running into tonight a team who is that but they're always two or a three seed and they're always really good i think this yep. is a clash of two really good tournament teams like villanova they that ohio state game i'm not sure how much of it you watched but like they, they got out to a uh All of it. I, well, I didn't know if you were working that day or not. I didn't know if your day off didn't want to judge. But they got out to the big lead, and then Ohio State kept coming back, and it kept feeling like Ohio State's yeah. going you know, to do it. And then what does Villanova do? They make their free throws and get offensive rebounds, and that's what matters in the tournament. Like Villanova yeah. is, is your classic tournament team. Jay Wright is kind of your, your classic tournament coach. So I'm really excited to see that matchup because you kind of have – the two seed version in Villanova and the underdog version in Michigan, but like Michigan is like we said, one of those teams that doesn't really matter where they're seated. They they seem to come and show yeah. up during tournament time. Villanova feels like the team that nobody was talking about until last weekend. They're just like a sneaky two yep. seed. Had a solid season, like you said. They uh, have some depth in their bench. They shoot it just insanely good from the free throw line. They're, I believe, as a team right now. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I read it over the weekend. It was, I think they're shooting at 85.6% from the free throw line right now, which if that number holds, will be the highest team free throw percentage in the history of Division One basketball. Like since, since the statistic was being tracked, no team has shot it as good as Villanova is right now. And that's going to give you a chance, especially with these refs wanting to inject their whistles into oh, every yeah. moment of the game. I do think that Villanova might be a little talent deficient as opposed to some of these other teams, let's say a Gonzaga, an Arkansas, uh, an Arizona, maybe even, I don't know, I put them on an equal playing field as Duke. To me right now, Kansas is the the last, like Kansas is a complete picture of a basketball team right now. I think that they're going to be very tough to beat. We'll see how it all plays out. But like Villanova to me looks like the beta version of Kansas, like looks like the 1.0 of Kansas. Mm-hmm. And that makes them very dangerous against anybody that they play. Um, that's going to be a fun matchup. Gonzaga-Arkansas really piques my interest because I think we're going to learn a lot about Gonzaga tonight. Yeah, I do too. the end of the season for them because if they don't if they don't come out and play a better 20 minutes to start the game, they will lose this basketball game. Arkansas is too, Arkansas is too explosive. Arkansas is too talented. Um, Gonzaga's gotten away with limping out of the gate and being down by 10 at half against Memphis, limping out of the gate and being up by one at half against Georgia State. I just don't think you're going to get away with that against Arkansas. I would hope that, that I mean, that's a team, you know, with, with some veteran leadership, with now a coach that's been there a bunch of times, that I would hope that that was a – you and I expected them to come out with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, I feel like, this tournament after, you know, bringing back a lot of people from last year, having the heartbreak in the national championship – uh, we we kind of thought we'd see a little bit of a fire lit under them. I, I think we kind of didn't. I think they were a little bit more just expecting that they would be in the second weekend. I, I hate to sound like I did last week, but now I, I actually think now that they're here in the games, obviously all the games matter, but if you're a team like Gonzaga, it might be a little bit easier to obviously overlook your 16 seed, overlook a Memphis team. But now that they're here and they've had a week to kind of wake up, I 10 points is a lot, and I'm not sure that's that's something they're going to cover, but like I feel like we see a Gonzaga team more of the one we saw, the complete version of the Gonzaga team, the one that starts out, that doesn't really sleepwalk, that doesn't kind of just expect that they can show up and, and advance. I, I think we see the team tonight that actually we expected to see last weekend because I, I hope so because I don't know wh- I don't know where that confidence comes from. Like, yeah, you're the number one seed in the country. Yeah, you have 28 wins on the season. Yeah, you got a lot of guys who can score the basketball, but like, I don't know. They just don't strike. They don't have an intimidation factor to me. Nothing about Gonzaga would intimidate me if I was looking at them and I was Arkansas, or if down the road I'm Houston and mm-hmm. I'm the I'm everybody on my team's got a wingspan of fucking excuse my language okay. of thirty feet. Like, like it just doesn't. Gonzaga is not scary. That's why Memphis was able to punch them in the mouth. Mm-hmm. That's why Georgia State was able to punch them in the mouth in, in a certain to a certain extent. It, they they see themselves a lot differently than the country sees them. Yeah, you're the number one seed, but like you get it done with like layups and finesse. Like no one's no one's afraid of a high ball screen from Chet Holmgren. I'm sorry, but like there are guys across the country right now who you do not want standing in front of you. I, I just don't know that there's many of those guys on 
on Gonzaga. Not the disrespect, their scoring prowess and their discipline and the fact that they've been in the moment, but like their physicality, I guess, is what I'm getting at, does not scare me at all. Now, I, I want to talk about the other team you just brought up there, Houston, who mm-hmm. I, I know they're a five seed, and that's probably because they played the American Conference, and you know, those teams tend to get overlooked sometimes. But this is now a team that's in the Sweet 16 for the fourth, third or fourth consecutive year. I don't remember which one it was, but they've been a program that's been doing this for a while now and I didn't watch much of their basketball this year I watched them uh most of the U of I game and very little bit against UAB this team is better than a five seed they're really good and you talked about them defensively and how they kind of play opposite the Arizona and they're very long like they're the type of team with the type of coach that makes runs in the tournament I, I this is a mm-hmm. absolute dark horse of a team that without really having that dominant team left like they can beat anybody left yeah, and they're becoming this like um, they're becoming this sneaky mainstay in the second weekend of the tournament. Like they've mm-hmm. been there, they continue to be there. They were in the final four last year. They lose four of their top scorers from a year ago, and they're there again this year. Like yeah. there's just um, Kelvin Sampson really gets everything out of this group, and I think they recruit a similar type of athlete year over. So even though the names change, like not a lot within their game plan has to change. They don't have to like morph into something different. They play tough defense. They're physical. They're going to try and hold you to 60 points or fewer, and that's a very hard thing to do against this Arizona team who has a depth in scoring. But I always love these types of matchups where it's um, – my strength versus your strength, yeah. and they are diametrically opposed. Who's going? Who's going to impose their game plan better? Mm-hmm. I sort of lean towards the defensive side, especially Same. in college hoops. Especially, you know, I'm beating the drum of this being bad basketball. Like you get Arizona coming out of the gate and not feeling comfortable because I got a hand in their face all night. And, well, if Arizona, the, the reality of the reality of 55 points quickly becomes that <laughs> yeah if Arizona starts out hot shooting even with the hand in their face like they're probably going to win this ball game if Houston come out and fr- comes out and frustrates them early and kind of feels that they frustrated them early like those those defensive teams obviously build on that they feed off that yeah. and I think if Arizona starts off frustrated this is going to be a long night and I, I do think Houston ends up winning that game but like it, it's going to be a game that we I'm not going to say the first 10 minutes will absolutely decide it but I think the first 10 minutes are going to tell us a whole lot of what those the, the next 30 to whatever end up actually, you know, what actually ends up happening yeah. in those. So I, I, that's, I, I'm glad that one's the, the later game tonight because maybe the first 10 minutes might decide what happens. But that, that's, I think of all four games, I, that one might be the one I, I'm, look, I'm most intrigued by because I want, this is for me, we'll see actually how good Houston is because UAB was UAB. U of I was a team that at times looked like world Stinks. beaters and at times they stunk. stunk. They, we can get to that a little bit too if you want you know, to. It, no, like uh, you know, we were talking about Villanova, Michigan State yeah. teams that tend to peak at the right time. Illinois is whatever the opposite of that is. Like yeah. you, you Brad get Edward excited might not about be, him. He might not. Be I don't think coach. He he's is. a regular season. Coach. I don't think he's. I don't think he's the coach of of the program. I don't think he's the coach that the program needs. And I, I don't. You know, I, I keep my opinion out of the questions I ask, but I will ask pointed questions. Uh-huh. Um, that are driven by my opinion, and I asked after the game um, to our analysts, like, how much of this loss is 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 to be put in Brad under put on Brad Underwood's plate? Because the offensive approach in that game was, oh, guards aren't shooting it well in the first three and a half minutes. Let's just dump it to Coburn, who's yeah. triple teamed inside. Like, yes, that has to be a certain amount of your offense because he's such a force. But when the offense starts to collapse, you need to go different places. Yeah. You need to bring Andre Carbello off the bench and give him another chance to shoot it. You need to let those freshmen do what they did for that three-minute stretch. Like, it just didn't seem like the game plan was there. He seems very I don't, I don't talk and, about, and stubborn kind yeah, of in his decision-making. Yeah. Which I don't want to go back and talk about the games. I want to preview these games because yeah. there's a lot of great stuff in front of us. Last game on Thursday, as you said, is Arizona and Houston. Uh, predating that by about 20 minutes will be Texas Tech and Duke. It's on CBS, so I'll sell it. But uh, I, I'm tired of Duke. I'm, I'm like I'm not a Duke hater. I will raise my hand. I root for Duke. I root for players. I root for Coach K. This team just doesn't do it for me. Um, 
I, I think they lose tonight to Texas Tech. I really do. I, Texas Tech at last check, which was yesterday, was a one-point favorite. So Vegas, then, I, a tight I now one. see Duke as a half-point. I saw them as a half-point That makes sense. This morning, Duke, so Duke money coming money. in. Yeah, I'm, I'm could in. be a pick em at tip. Could be a one, one-and-a-half towards Duke. Um, yeah, I just think that I, – I don't know. I guess I've gone sour because I wanted it to end – against Izzo like I, that that was how that was how the Krzyzewski era was supposed to end was Tom Izzo finally gets him like I was rooting for the narrative there I wasn't rooting for or against anyone I was rooting for like the Izzo struggled so much against Coach K in his career here's here's where he deliver, delivers the decisive blow to Coach K's career mm-hmm. and because I didn't get that storyline I think I've gone bad on Duke a little bit um, I just I Texas watched Texas, that game Texas Tech's a tough matchup for anybody too the the so Duke defensively, I, I think they struggle at times, and I I, I hope to, I'm not a Duke fan. I don't like Duke. I hope Texas Tech takes advantage of that tonight. My, my also problem though, like, and I don't want to sound conspiracy theoristy, but like we talked about the refs wanting to get involved. I like that. Coach K usually gets more calls come tournament time, especially in his you know farewell tour. I'm a little bit worried that an aggressive defense like Texas Tech is going to get into foul trouble trouble early, and Duke's going to be able to take advantage of that because. <laughs> It's Coach K. Dude, Texas Tech is going to have to, I don't want to say fully beat the refs tonight because I don't think that's ever like a true thing, but like they're going to have to play probably a little bit, a little bit less aggressive defensively than they normally do to avoid some foul trouble. Like the end of that Michigan State Duke game, Michigan State was coming back and they were, you know, they had all the momentum in the world. They're on the way to win and they're just every after like around the four or five minute mark charges, blocks, everything just started going Duke's way. And before you knew it, Duke was at the free throw line every other possession, and they were up six because yeah. every just every call went Coach K's team's way. And I, again, don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but like, it's not new that Coach K gets calls. And Coach K's yeah. team is going to get calls in his last tournament, and that's something to consider. As, as much as I would like to see Texas Tech win this game, I still think – they're a better team. I think they're a tough matchup, and I'm not sure. Like if if Paolo doesn't have that great of a night shooting wise, it could be a long night for Duke. But I just I, that's some that's a thought I can't get out of the back of my head. Yeah, and it's a fair it's a fair assessment. It's a fair thought to have. Uh, the action will continue on Friday, Sweet, yeah. six, sweet Sixteen round, uh, and we will get the the Fighting Peacocks. We will get St. Peter's, the the Darling, the Cinderella, whatever you want to call it. But I think the buck stops here. It's Purdue and St. Peter's getting things going 7 o'clock on CBS. Uh, then Kansas and Providence, uh, UCLA, UNC, uh, Miami, Iowa State in a 10 versus 11 in Chicago. Matt, which one of these matchups on Friday uh, catches your full attention? Well, I am. I have never hidden that I'm, I'm a North Carolina fan, so this is a little there bit of a is. run that I am – I did not quite expect, but I'm mm-hmm. very happy to see them here. And I actually think with the way they're playing, they have a chance to beat UCLA. They have a chance to beat anybody they go up against. Um, but so that, that's the one that I have my eye on for my, my fan reasons. And it's two blue bloods in the NCAA tournament. I don't care if it's a four or an eight, if it's a one or a two, if it's a whatever. Like It's two blue bloods going at it in the NCAA tournament. I think that's awesome. But Purdue and, and St. Peter's more so because a, if Purdue can't do it this year, are they going to like everything's fallen their way so far? I, I think, yeah, that region is, essentially just yeah. Just this said, is the hey, to it. Purdue, this, you're you're the one seed now. If Purdue and North Carolina go advance, I'm going to be rooting for North Carolina. But like, I like Purdue basketball. My brother went to Purdue. Mike actually said to me last night, if Purdue doesn't do it this year, I might be hashtag done with them. Like, yeah, I mean, it, this it, this it, is their year to do it. Like, if you can't do it this year, when are you going to do it? Yeah. Kentucky, Baylor, uh, out. Baylor um, steps aside. I think, who was the four, four seed? Four UCLA is the four seed in that tournament. Or UC, in that region. So the five, like UCLA is a beatable four seed. seed. Like, um, yeah, it, it, this is a yeah. this is kind of their time to go do it. And if I they can't do it this year, I think, I think, I think they'll be fine there. here in the round of 16. Things get interesting in the Elite Eight, obviously. Um, with I'm not looking at the bracket right now, but their potential matchup would be, if UC, I'm not UCLA, mistaken, UCLA, UNC winner. UCLA, so I mean, again, there you might be catching an eight seed UNC who's got a half empty tank because yeah. they left it all out there against UCLA and they left it all out there against Baylor and what was a wild game that they almost gave up a twenty five point or they did give up a twenty five point lead and almost lost, but um, insane game in round one that was a lot of fun. 
but back to Purdue and St. Peter's, I just don't think the matchup is there for Cinderella. It's no. it's the it's the classic height versus heart. Like Purdue is one of the tallest teams in the country. St. Peter's is one of the shortest. If St. Peter's shoots it, lights out 50% from three, we might have a game, but I think that's literally their only path to victory. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason these Cinderella runs usually tend to end in the Sweet 16 because those first two, like, the first two rounds, it's really hard to game plan for your opponent, especially in that second round, that round of 32. So now that Purdue's kind of had a week to watch tape, game plan, come up with an actual you know week-long scheme for this, that plus their size advantage and their talent advantage, their skill advantage, it really it feels like the buck stops here for St. Peter's. And you know what? That, that's okay. They're a 15 seed. They, don't, they, they really shouldn't yeah. be here anyway. So it, it seems you know, kind of like this is their, this is their time. We we kind of make this checklist throughout. We might not do it all at once, but we make this checklist throughout our conversation of like criteria to make it there, criteria to be the team that wins, a criteria to be in the final four. And we always talk about free throw shooting. Uh-huh. We talk about defense. We talk about depth and scoring. But I think that it can't be lost the fact that like most of the time, the team that wins it has at least one true NBA talent on. Yeah, and. I think that Jaden Ivey is the best player remaining in this tournament. I think he might have been the best player in the field of 68, the way that he's played. That three that he stepped into at the end of the game to ice things and make it a seven-point lead was cold-blooded. What he's done throughout the tournament, what he did throughout the Big Ten tournament, his mixture of size and ability, he's got a lot of Ja Morant to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to be that immediately no, I, I as Ja Morant will well. be. I've seen that. Yeah, I've never and read that. that's I was I was talking to our, our guy Tim Doyle about that and he kinda got me onto that, so I'll credit him there. But um it is professional and I think that that professionalism if you can carry that in a physical and a mental and leadership role the way that Ivy does, I, I think that Purdue outside of this, like like my my worry about Purdue is not their ability, it's not their physicality, it's not any of those things. My worry about Purdue is just the fact that it's Purdue across their chest and they yep. always find a way to screw it up. It's what we and, talked about with Michigan, Michigan State, you know, the tournament type teams. Yeah, Purdue like, has that reputation of the team. Purdue. And Purdue. even even if you haven't been a part of one of those teams that's collapsed, like it's in your head because your coach has been a part of it. And not that you don't believe in your coach, but like it, there's until you get over that hump. Doesn't matter if you've yeah. been a part of the teams in the past that have failed before. Like that's something that you're thinking about. It's impossible not to, even if even if it's just a th- little thought in the back of your head. It's still in the back but of your head. I really hope this last ten days, two weeks of the tournament turns into the Jaden Ivy show. I think it would be a uh, an apropos coming out party for the young man who's already. Uh, making a name for himself. We've also got Kansas and Providence. Providence having their best season since 1979, and it continues to roll on. They will be fully tested here against yeah. Kansas, which I said is the most complete team. Uh, they they have seven guys who can give you 20 points. They have uh, a defensive intensity. They have a like they they have all the pieces that we're talking about. They shoot the free throws. They score the basketball. They play defense. They have some star scoring in Ojai Abaji. Like they they are that team. Now will they come out there and get upset? I think I think Providence can make it interesting, but I just don't know that I just don't know that they can keep it close enough. It's a seven and a half point spread, I believe, right now. Yeah, it's weird to say that a four seed you're surprised to see here, but like Providence was everybody's you know, popular pick to get knocked off in the first round. They win yeah. that one easy. They win the second round game pretty easy. I, I, I do. I'm with you. I think Kansas wins tonight or wins tomorrow, and probably. I mean, they should. They're the better team. But Kansas is another team, kind of like Purdue. I know Kansas has their national championship, but Kansas has been has been prone in you know in the Bill Self era to drop games to teams in the tournament they probably shouldn't. And that, that's you're playing a Providence team that while they might not. They're not as talented. I won't say they might not be as talented. They're not as talented. They're a team that's playing with some belief in themselves. They've had success winning this year. They seem to have kind of that, I don't want to say luck you need, but they have a little bit of luck on their side because they, they, the mm-hmm. analytics aren't in their favor. They're still 27-5. and five. They, they won the Big East. They have a coach that they believe in, like a pretty good coach in Ed Cooley. I think Kansas wins this game, but like I, I don't know. There's just same thing with Purdue, not to the extent, but like 
every time it seems like tournament time, I start to believe in Kansas, they go lose to an eight seed or they lose to a four seed. They shouldn't. And I, I have a Kansas future. I hope they run the table and win it. Yeah. But that's just, it, it's just, so on paper, they should win this one easy, but on paper, they should have more than one national championship under Bill Self. That's a fair point. To me, Kansas was sort of galvanized in that Creighton game. Creighton shot it unbelievable. Like Creighton had their best shooting night of the season uh-huh. and couldn't beat Kansas. So yeah. like to take to take a good team, a tournament team's best blow, and not have your best on a given night and still win a game by seven points tells me a lot about this team that they don't mind being in the three-point game. They don't mind being in a two-possession, mm-hmm. one-possession game. They feel very comfortable right there, and they showed that against Creighton. And then when it came to winning time, let's hit our free throws, let's walk out of here with a W. Like, they showed me that um, they can win the close one, which I think there's some value to having that experience heading into this second weekend of the tournament. Yeah, I'm just uh... – we can move on to Iowa State, Miami. I don't know as much about either of those teams because I'm not going to lie and say mm-hmm. I've watched a bunch of them. But like all eight of these games are really intriguing matchups to me for very different reasons. But like this, this is I probably probably say this every year, but I love the the, the chaos of Weekend One is fantastic. But once you get to the Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight, like with the no offense to St. Peter's, with the exception of, of them, like this is kind of where you start to get to the. the really actually good basketball teams, the ones that deserve to be here. And like, I'm, I'm very excited to see the, the good matchups, like the, the teams that actually yeah. have a chance to win the national title. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you. I don't have a whole lot to say about um, just Iowa state in my Brockington. Yeah. Isaiah Brockington's been really solid. Um, but go ahead. Yeah. No, just to the, that the Iowa state program, <laughs> they were a two win team or two or yeah. three win team, whatever last year. And they're in the sweet 16. Like, I, I'm not going to say I don't think I've watched a second of their basketball before probably conference championship week, and I haven't watched much of Miami. Um, good, good on ISU like that. That's an incredible turnaround. And Miami is another team with with a head coach and Jim Laranega that seems to play their best basketball in the postseason. But that that's that's an intriguing one to me because it's a ten or yep. ten or eleven, and one of them is going. Uh, one of them is going to the Elite Eight. But I do want to say like we talked about when we were previewing the tournament how you know the SEC looked like you know, one of the best conferences in college basketball, the big 10 looked like it too. And we were expecting them to make big runs and how the ACC was down. I'm starting to think like the more years go on, like, I don't think that matters as much. Come tournament was this, time was this because, a like, bait and switch? Did the ACC bait that's and what switch I'm saying. Like, we're, 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 <laughs> in the elite, or we're in the sweet 16. We got three ACC teams. Like the SEC has one and it's not one that anybody thought it would be. The big East has yeah. a couple, like the big 12 has two or has three. Like I, I just, it's, or is it three, four? Three. It's, you know, I, I, I will not take stock out of regular season basketball. I will not take stock out of um, when we're assessing these conferences, who has the depth in conference, because it's simple math that the more teams you put in the tournament, the better chance you'll have yeah. to have those teams in the final week of the tournament. Like, that's, that's, yeah, that's indisputable that's, yeah, that's mathematical stats. evidence. Stats. But I took stats. To, to, your, <laughs> to your point, um, once you get there – you got to win the games. Yes. Once you get there, I know that sounds very basic. I'm trying to say something within that statement. Like once you get there, it doesn't matter what you did. It's a one-off basketball game, 40 minutes. And as we've seen, anybody can beat anybody. Um, I think that the, again, not to, I don't want to go bad on it because it's very entertaining, but I also think that the um, variability and who these teams are and what they can be on any given night opens up the door to some results that don't fall in line with what we saw in the regular season. That's, That's all I'm getting at here is there's so much parity that I don't I don't want to make any grand statement about, hey, maybe we're reading too much into this. It's like, no, the SEC had the most depth and talent this year. Mm-hmm. The Big Ten was a close second. The SEC got robbed going into the tournament. The Big Ten got an extra team. But here we are because when you play the games, anything can happen in college basketball. It looks pretty even across all conferences. All right, so before we wrap, let's wrap up college basketball here, I want a no, 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 no. I was going to say, give me touch, a Final Four pick. Well, we didn't touch UNC, UCLA. I was just going to roll the ball. Oh, we can't. Oh, sorry. Us, I thought, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we covered that earlier. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about North Carolina, but I think I said this after they beat uh, Duke in the, the ACC finale and a little bit in the ACC tournament. If they stay out of foul trouble and can, you know, play their six, they're as good and as talented as anybody. I mean, Brady Manick has had 28 against Marquette and then 26 in 
three quarters of the game against Baylor before he got before he got uh, yeah. ejected. Like if he's shooting like that, they can and they can beat anybody in the country. I mean, they're on their way to blowing out Baylor as well, but they need to stay out of foul. Like the second they have to go to you know seven or eight deep on their bench, you saw it against Baylor a little bit. They're just they don't have the talent. Uh, they don't People have were, the talent or the depth. Excuse me, they have the high end talent. Four guys fouled out in that game. Yeah, there were North Carolina. Like four, there were four guys, guys playing whose names I hadn't heard before. Like it, it was it, it, their offense. It, I'm I'm shocked, and I think everybody was that they went it over worked overtime and won that game. But their offense towards the end of it was R.J. Davis driving and trying to find Armando Baycott, and hopefully Baycott either made it or got fouled. And if he got fouled, he was shooting terribly from the free throw line. Another reason why they, they concern me a little bit because he's very inconsistent from the line. Like they have the top end talent, but they need to stay healthy and stay out of foul trouble. If they do that, they can beat anybody in the country. If they get into foul trouble early, they can lose to anybody in the country. But they do have the t- they, they have the high-end talent. L- R.J. Davis down the stretch has been a fantastic point guard for them. I'm not sure he's a, a pro because he's pretty small, but like he's a fantastic college point guard. Yeah. Um, were you getting to a Final Four? You want to you wanna like reassess Final Four is what you're yeah, talking Yeah, see, see what you know. It's Sweet 16, you have a chance to you know re-pick your Final Four here. Yeah, uh, I'm staying with the Zags because that was my pick out of that region. Um, I am going to pivot to Purdue uh, in the bottom left of your bracket mm-hmm. because my pick Kentucky is out. Uh, I'm going to go with Kansas because Kansas was my pick coming out of there. And I think i got to pivot to Nova. I think that Nova – um, just like I said, is sort of Kansas light. Yeah, I think that makes them the favorite to come out of that region. I really hope in that region we see a Houston versus Nova matchup because that just seems like two really good tournament teams that play, like play their best basketball mm-hmm. at the tournament, go up against each other in the Elite Eight for a Final Four bit on the way. Um, I'm going to go with Nova as well just because I think they have a little bit of an easier Sweet 16 route than Houston does. But if Houston – honestly, if anybody other than Michigan makes it in that region, I wouldn't be shocked. But I'm going to go with Nova. I do think Houston wins tonight though. I just – I think that first 10 minutes, like we said, is going to be important. And I think they, they frustrate Arizona a little bit and I think Houston wins. But I think Nova goes to the Final Four. Um, I'll go Kansas as well. I'm going to be a homer and take North Carolina. Um, I just if, – if, if Brady Manick stays hot – they can beat anybody, and I, th- I think they're as good as anybody. I, I'm, I'm on them. I'm going to ride them until they lose. And then uh, I'm going to go with Texas Tech. Okay. Uh, I, I do think they beat Duke tonight. I think they're the better team. And I just – they're the Gonzaga can't get away with starting slow against them. And like you yeah. said, Gonzaga doesn't scare me. If I'm Texas Tech and I get into a game with Gonzaga – now, Baylor was incredibly talented last year, but Baylor also bullied Gonzaga a little bit. Texas Tech can bully Gonzaga a little bit. Like I, I, I fully think that. And I, if Gonzaga does that and they start slow and they get bullied, mm-hmm. yeah, they have the firepower to, to mount a comeback. But I just that seems like a team that might get frustrated early. And I, I like Texas Tech in that region. So I, I, yeah, Gonzaga I like is the that. best team. I really like that pick. I really like that pick as well. I just had to had to stand on stand on the pedal stool that I. Uh, Texas Tech I also has to win tonight. Though. Like they have to win yeah. tonight. That's, yeah, that, that is how that works. Yeah, that is so. how that works. All right, so happy hunting. We hope all your tickets cash, and uh, it's an enjoyable round of 16 at March Madness. But let's keep this train moving, Matt, towards uh, NFL free agency, a couple MLB uh, free agency news to get – a little bit of news to get to as well. Uh, but let's start in the NFL. I'd say biggest move of the last week was the uh, – obviously the Deshaun Watson announcement. We, we haven't spoken since then, correct? Uh, I don't believe Have so, we? no. I don't believe we have. So Deshaun and then the chips that sort of fell into place beyond that with uh, Matt Ryan saying, get me out of Atlanta because you had eyes for somebody else. So Atlanta ends up uh, holding a whole bag of nothing uh, except a third round pick that they got for trading Ryan to uh, Indianapolis. But um, uh, biggest story here is Deshaun Watson, 230, I believe it was, million dollars. All guaranteed. guaranteed. From the Browns, it just seems ill-advised. Like, yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's going to. All charges are going to be dropped. Maybe he's going to lead the team to great success. Maybe he's going to throw for five thousand yards and be the league MVP. Maybe he's not. You know, you're putting two hundred thirty million dollars of guaranteed money on a maybe. And I know these are all varying degrees of maybe, but. Uh, 
to me, this is how it went because we heard it was the Browns, the Saints, and the Falcons. And then the Browns were dropped out of the conversation, and the Browns front office didn't like that. So they said, let's throw a stupid deal mm-hmm. at him that he can't say no to. And a stupid deal is a stupid deal. Um, I don't know. To me, he's still the guy who led the league in passing yards and was 4-12. and 12. So I don't know that all of that offensive firepower immediately solves all the problems in Cleveland. I think that I think this is the I'm not going to say this is the worst this is the worst thing football wise that Deshaun could have done for his career. I think that Atlanta or, or um New Orleans would have been far better situations than Cleveland. I think New Orleans would have been the best situation for him, and I'm not really sure why he didn't want to do that. It's probably because of the guaranteed money. Because of the $230 I think this is a better situation for him than Atlanta because I think Atlanta doesn't really have a whole lot of talent. They don't have, they've done a terrible job managing their cap while having not a lot of talent. Uh, so I'm not sure that one would have worked out great for him either. But I, I just – when something like this happens and we don't know if what's going to happen legally with Deshaun Watson in the future and, and what it, anything that's going to come from, I know he wasn't indicted by a grand jury, but what, what else is still to come? I'm not a legal expert, not going to pretend to be, but like, I wish just one time when a team would go out and like make a commitment to a, a player with, with character issues to say the least about Deshaun Watson, like don't, give this like BS statement about how like, well, we did our research and he's a very nice mm-hmm. guy. Just, just be honest, but Hey, he's got character issues. We're taking like, a chance. We're, we're taking a chance here. He's a very good football player. He helps our team win. And yeah, we, we know there's some issues. We're going to try and help, try and help him work past that to grow as a person and as a player and, and all that. But like, don't be like, yeah, Deshaun is a man of great character and he's, he's great. Don't, I hate just the blind backing because he said, just wish one time a team would just yeah. be upfront and honest about it. Like, I, like yeah, he's got 22 like it, outstanding civil it. cases. We're going to support him through that. We're prepared to work in coordinates with the league to make sure that our player is in the best position to succeed both on and off the field yeah. and statement. Like it doesn't have to be like a, it doesn't a have to be a, we love this of a guy a who guy. might be a bad guy. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that like, even, even remove all of the, um, uncertainty and negative energy surrounding what may have happened off the field. And there are still question marks. And mm-hmm. for you to give those question marks, 230 million guaranteed falls right in line with, with some the of Cleveland the bank, Browns, with some of the bankrupt thinking of the Cleveland Browns. So I think it's got, I think it's got a far better chance to flop than it does to succeed. Um, we'll see. Uh, plenty of other names to get to here. Obviously, the one that sort of fell into place outside of that was the the relationship was, you know, beyond reproach with Matt Ryan in Atlanta because all the shopping they were doing and the due diligence they were doing on Deshaun. Similar situation to Baker wanting the trade when the Browns, even before the Browns signed signed him, mm-hmm. feeling a bit scorned by his team going shopping. Um, let's actually talk Baker first because that's more. Uh, directly related, he's still on the Browns roster right now. Yeah, what do you see? Uh, there's no trade market for him because the team has no leverage. Do you see Baker getting cut? Like, I mean, you can't sign. What's somebody, the best situation for Baker? I, is there? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm truly trying to think. Like, is there a starter market out there for him? Like, I, I, Seattle probably I think the not. Last I think job, Seattle the last job open, Lock, right? Well, yeah, and even if they don't, the last two jobs are open are Drew, are Drew Locke's job in Seattle and I'm Carolina right now. I think Carolina, but they seem to – they've always had like the we're going to draft a guy air yeah. about them, even though this class is less than impressive. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing all this jockeying at the quarterback position. And also like, um, there's a there's going out and getting a veteran to mentor a you know, first-round draft pick that might be two years away. If, yeah. if Carolina, say they want to draft Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis or whoever, and say they go out and, and get Baker for a year to unapprove it, they, like, do you think Baker is going to do anything at all to help the guy behind him? Like, that's not the guy you want, yeah. you know, No, learning. Baker's, Baker's, an, Baker's another option for a team that might not believe in their The Giants, guy, maybe? That's why. Mm, do you believe in Daniel be very, Jones? It's a very giant thing to do. My my initial thought was he goes home. He's a Houston kid. He's going to go play. They sound behind, like they like Davis unquote. Mills. Yeah, but but they sound like that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. They sound like okay, they like enough. the guy who might 
who no one knew who he was when he got drafted two years mm-hmm. ago or last year. So Davis Mills had a great rookie season, and I think he deserves the right to be the starter there. But are you completely sold on Davis Mills? Let's bring in Baker just in case he gets hurt or let's in case things go left this season. So I could see him getting cut by the Browns and scooped by the Texans. Is I think how that's how I think it goes. I w- I don't know if you can convince him, and I don't know exactly their cap situation. But Baylor ba- Baker also seems like a guy who is. Um, going to want to stick it to his old team as much as possible mm-hmm. backing up Lamar a quarterback that is cool. very good but is injury prone and is probably going to play you know he's definitely miss his couple of games this year where Baker's going to have a chance to play probably four or five times and you could convince him on a hey we'll, we'll pay you and we'll give you some good money and we'll give you a chance to stick it to your old team I think that might be a spot that I in an organization too that you know knows how to handle players. It is a very good grown-up professional organization that could probably know how to handle a guy with Baker's temperament. Like that to me, they, I believe also, uh, what's his name? The backup Tyler Huntley is, was a free agent this year. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he's back. That to no, me seems like a one year, one year deal that makes a whole lot of sense because if you're Baker, you I know, like Lamar's probably not playing 16 games this year and you're going to get four or five times to go out there with a pretty talented offense around you. If that run game stays healthy, um, in a good organization that can kind of help you teach you how to be a little more of an NFL quarterback than Cleveland did, that makes yeah. a whole lot of sense to me. I don't because uh, there's just no starting roles left for him out there. And here's the caveat: he might be dealing with um, teams choosing between him and a guy who's played on two NFC title game Sundays and in a Super Bowl, and Jimmy Garoppolo. If mm-hmm. Garoppolo gets cut because San Francisco doesn't want to pay his guaranteed number, which I think is $22 million against the cap this year, for him to be potentially the backup quarterback. You know, we're all assuming that it's... The more time goes on, the more I think he's staying there. Uh, me too, and I, the more time that goes on, I think he's starting there. Like I, I, think I don't that, think that's bad. I think like, that's, we, San, we talked, uh, no, I think I that's think, bad. I think that's the right I thing think to that do. San, I think that San Francisco's best option is to do that and give Trey another year. Yes, people are going to be clamoring every incomplete pass that Jimmy throws, and it's going to be very difficult, um, that power struggle between the two quarterbacks. But like, if San Francisco is not sold that Trey Lance is ready, why would you trade the guy who's ready? Now, yes, you do lose – complete control of him after the season and he becomes a free agent you get nothing in return for him but what is different about that situation yeah, than the situation right now the, the situation right now is you're probably gonna have to cut him because there's no market for him either mm-hmm. like I, they just don't they, cut they him, just the waiting, him they played the waiting game and all the chairs are full now it wouldn't be cutting him just to cut him it would be cutting him to save 22 million dollars against okay, your fair, cap fair enough because you've made the decision that he is not your starting quarterback. I'm not sure they've made that decision yet. Is what my what my yeah, point is. I, I if I had to guess right now, I, I I think he is Jimmy Garoppolo starting day one for the San Francisco 49ers. And like Trey Lance is a very talented quarterback, but he's a guy who getting drafted had played like one game in two years because of North Dakota State's uh, it didn't play during COVID or whatever that situation was. I don't remember exactly, but I think that's what it was. There's nothing wrong with like taking a guy, a quarterback that you think has incredibly high upside that needs to sit down for a couple of years and learn. Like he, that, that doesn't yeah. say, mean, yeah, you want to uh, get him moving on that, that contract as early as possible because you only have so many years before you have to pay quarterbacks. But if he's not ready, there's nothing wrong with waiting a couple of years to let him develop and grow and then putting him in once he's ready. We see it all the time. Quarterbacks get forced in sometimes too early and it, it's a big detriment to them because they're not ready to play. Like it's, it's become the, uh, it's, it's not as common as it used to be. Like, I don't want to keep, I don't want to bring up the Aaron Rodgers thing because Aaron Rodgers is a unique talent, but like he sat three years, like we don't see that as often anymore, but like, that's an example of something that if you have a guy that's not ready, it still can work. Like you can let a guy grow and develop and learn and then mm-hmm. take over once he's ready. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way. Uh, I think the next deal that we have to talk about was a blockbuster of uh, I think it was essentially a game of I want that money chicken and uh, and Tyreek won I think yeah I, I don't know but Tyreek Hill heading to Miami a hall of picks coming back to Kansas City but that offense drastically changes when you're talking about a one of one talent who stretches the field who changes the game just get him the ball and let him do what he does. Um, I don't think that there's a better safety blanket for that Mike McDaniel offense, for Tua as a quarterback. 
um, for everything that they're trying to accomplish in Miami. And things just got a lot harder on Pat Mahomes. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Miko Hardman will fill some of that target share, but he does not have that ability. He's got the speed, but Tyreek, again, is such a one-off that you do not fill that role. That is just something you have to learn to play without now. Um, and it was going to get to that point where, hey, Trav got paid, uh, Mahomes got paid, Kenny Clark got paid. Like, like who? Someone was going to have to get shafted here, and it sounded like they wanted to pay Tyreek and like close to that Devontae Adams number, but he wanted the Devontae number. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Go get a trade." And two hours later, he's a Miami Dolphin. Um, your reaction to the trade and like kind of a win loss, uh, a breakdown of of how much better you think Miami got and how much worse you think Kansas city got. I, I mean, I Kansas city got worse. Like they, that's Travis. We, we talked about how tight ends seem to make the offense go and open things up. And you, I'm not sure if Travis Kelsey's contract situation, but I know how important he is to that offense. But I feel like you do, you need to do whatever. It's not like Tyree kill was 32. Like he's a 20, he's still 28. He's still got that speed. He still makes that offense is like, He's the deep threat. He's what makes that offense so dangerous. With he, with him not there complementing Travis Kelsey, like Miko Hardman's nice. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be fine there, but he doesn't have like the. I mean, he, no one has the speed Tyreek Hill does. Like I, I don't think I, I think that hurts Travis Kelsey's production too because there's a little bit less they have to worry about on the outside. And I don't know in, in a in an off season where that di- that division every team in it got a whole lot better. I think Kansas City got worse, and I, this is yeah. no longer their division anymore. Now, I'm not saying they can't win it, but this is no longer like Kansas City's the minus two fifty favorites on opening day to win the division. Like this is this is a wide open division now. Kansas City took a step back, while the other three teams, I think, took a step or two forward. Yeah, and I'm not sure that Miami um, gets. I know they get closer to Buffalo. I think Buffalo's still the. Um, still the clear favorite to win that division, but I think Miami just created some space between them and the Patriots for I the agree. second best team in the in the conference and the team that maybe can steal a wild card bid. Um totally agree. This will this will be the prove it year for Tua. Better do it Tua. If if you cannot orchestrate this offense with Jalen Waddle, with Tyreek Hill, with Raheem Mostert, Mike Gusecki. with Mike Gusecki, with Teron Armstead protecting you on the left side, or the uh, yeah, I think they're left side. on the left side, regardless of him being a left-handed quarterback. But with him on the left side, with um, what other running backs? Like they have a complete offense. They have one of the mm-hmm. most. They have they have the fastest offense in football. When you talk about Tyreek Waddle and Mostert, those are three of the fastest guys in the league. Um, if Tua can't do it with this group. It's time to go get a new quarterback. Yep, because you have every other piece on this offense. Uh, Mike McDaniel is going to put them all in the position to succeed. We know that he does that. He literally has carbon copied what San Francisco was and tried to almost make that roster in Miami. He's got Mostert again, a piece that he loved. He's got two other running backs um, to to support Mostert. You got to have three backs in that offense. He's got Tyree Kill, who should play the. Debo Samuel plus type role. He's got Jalen Waddle, who's better than any two that that San Francisco's ever had in that offense. He's got Gasicki, who can maybe do a George Kittle impression in the past game, but has trouble run blocking. But my mm-hmm. point is, he's put the pieces in place to say, "Hey, this is the system. You're the guys." It works when we put those two things together. And um, we'll see if it works because. The question mark in San Francisco was the quarterback as well, but I think it's a bigger question mark when you talk about Tua rather than Garoppolo. If Tua can't get it done there, is Jimmy a guy that ends oh. up in Miami next year? Oh. I mean, you're talking about him rebuilding the offense. is getting his boys. turquoise. I didn't even think of it. I'm, I'm getting, South I'm Beach Jimmy? Bothered. I don't oh, know. Stop it. Stop it. 305 that seems, Jimmy? That seems like Jimmy a Jimmy M.I.A.O., the biggest boss? That seems oh, like a fit to me. I want that to happen today. Can we Did make you, it happen today? Like De- Debo Samuel's great, but he was kind of the the one weapon outside with Brandon Ayuk falling off, kind of falling off the face of the earth. Like you, you put him with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and, and Gasicki <sighs> and those running backs again, and that offensive coordinator knows how to call plays around him. I, I, might need I don't a know, moment. man. I might need a moment. I oh, don't know goodness. if there's a because you can't. You can't trade for him now because you would have done it already, and you kind of have to give Tua one more shot. But like, yeah, definitely. 
and your safety net is already there with Teddy, but yeah. Teddy's deal is a one and one and it's done at the end of the season. So you could really reassess the quarterback position next year. And if you yeah. bring that perfectly groomed scruff and a little, and might I add a little salt and pepper coming into the hair Get of Jimmy Garoppolo, a, a little bit of, a little bit of wisdom in his ears. Oh, Come I like now. that. We'd be at we'd be at we'd be at Poppy Steak on Saturday night. Live on Sunday. It would be a freaking the tumbao rhythms of South Beach just pounding in the background. Whew. Matt, I'm sorry I, I to do this to you. I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, that was, I'm sorry that was to too do much. This to you. That, well, my brain had not yet. My brain has gone many places well, here throughout free agency. And, well, uh, let, and let me do trades. some. Let me do something. For my you. brain me, had never gone there. Okay, let, me, go let, me, let me pour the bucket of ice water over your head here, Joe. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the Chicago Bears free agency oh, so gross. far, which I actually yep. don't hate. I, I, I really me don't. Um, so I, I'll start with Teron Armstead because there were. People saying, hey, go go sign Armstead to a three-year deal and get him here, and that's what it's going to take. I, I saw Armstead sign the five-year deal with Miami and immediately was like, good, have him. Don't want him at that. Don't want to guarantee that money. That's too many years for a guy that played eight games and has some health issues. And I, I feel like Bears fans just think this is like Madden and, and that every, you know, Teron yeah. Armstead's a free agent. Oh, oh go sign him. Here, Tyreek Hill wants long and short of trade it. for Here's him. the long and short of it. Bears fans, and I'll, I'll, I'll paint even Most broader. NFL fans. Football probably. fans, NFL fans don't get it. They don't understand what you can and can't do. They don't understand salary caps. They don't understand um, player negotiation. They don't uh-huh. understand form and fit. They understand names. They understand Tyreek Hill. They understand that they were told that Teron Armstead is the number one tackle, so we should have him. They understand um, you know, surface-level headline. Bears fans are dumb. NFL's fans are dumb. They don't understand all of the minutia and all of the hurdles that you must overcome to get one of these guys in the building and make it work within the framework of your roster, your team, and the future that you're trying to build over the next five years. Teron Armstead, I don't believe, was a part of that. He's missed 34 games in the last six seasons. Mm-hmm. He has never played a full season in his NFL career. He's also so on the, he's on the wrong for, side of 30. He's going to be 31 on opening day. If you're looking for an aging tackle who is going to inevitably miss games next year and give you something to complain about, well, then he's perfect for you, Bears fans. Like, like this is – Ryan Poles, his – he preached patience from the beginning. He said he loved, you know, cycle number two free agency guys, and it's exactly what he's doing now. Armstead did make it to that second, that second, excuse me, that second cycle. But he's but he a tier still one player, the number yeah. one. Yeah, he is a tier one player, and on most lists, the number one free agent in the class. You don't need the big name splash right now. You do need to protect Fields to see what we have there. You do need to build out this offense a little further, but like, yeah, it can't just be a spending spree. It can't just be a, a let's let's kick the can down the road. We're we're not in that position. They're trying to build the foundation of a team. They're not trying to add the final pieces to a contender. Yeah, I think what you what I've loved the approach this far, so the, so far. I, I still think there are a few, you know, those second third wave guys that they need to go out and add. Ryan Bates signing the offer sheet this morning. Hopefully, Buffalo doesn't match it. I doubt they will to bring back a guy that wasn't always in their starting five, but like he's a really nice piece. The type of piece that you go out and add when you're an up and coming team that you have to hit. Like th- those are the types of guys that played, I think it's 300 some snaps for Buffalo last year. Didn't allow a sack was very efficient. Like those are the types of guys you one have to get in here and two hit on. And that's a guy that you take a chance on right now. Next year, hopefully you see your, you know, Justin Fields, take a step forward. Darnell Mooney, take a step forward. Hopefully Byron Pringle fits well with this offense and they draft, you know, hit some draft picks at receiver, corner, wherever. And then next year is the year where you actually know where you have to, like, you know you have holes right now, but you don't know who's going to step up. This year you see who steps up. Next year you have a hundred and whatever million dollars in cap space. That's when you go out and, and, and say, all right, you know, we're going to overspend a little bit for this guy because he really completes our football team. Mm-hmm. You don't do that right now. You don't, you don't, you don't get rid of Khalil Mack's contract to go guarantee Teron Armstead $50 yeah. million dollars over five years. No. That's just dumb. It's no. it, for it, it, Teron Armstead. By the time the Bears are hopefully ready to compete in two years, will be a 33 year old left tackle who's probably playing eight games a year. It just yeah. it, it makes no sense. I, I love the approach they've done. Would I like to see them add like a swing tackle, like an Eric Fisher or someone that might be able to be like a veteran present short term start day one or compete to start day one? Sure, mm-hmm. but if you tell me that. Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum are going to get a chance to start, and then we drafted this tackle in the third round that we like. Great, I'm fine with that because I think 
Larry Borum we saw played, I think, 600 snaps last year, 600-some snaps. He allowed like five sacks. That's not great, but that's also not terrible and something you can build on. Tevin Jenkins, I think we all liked what we saw from him, at least from a talent standpoint. See if you can mold him. And I think what you've done in the interior of the line, you have Cody Whitehair, who's yeah, a are we, are we Pro Bowl caliber on, line. Lucas Patrick. Are we punting on Tevin Jenkins? Like, yeah, that, like, I don't, I don't understand that. There? You have Tevin Jenkins as your second-round pick. who Maybe he's not a left tackle, but he also didn't look out of place there towards the end of the year last year. So let's give him a chance. You need to add depth at the tackle position, but like, I'm not. don't go get Teron Armstead when you have two guys that – I think deserve a shot to look like you, they deserve a shot this year. Like Larry Borum played not as many games as we'd hope because he got hurt a couple times and maybe that's a thing, but maybe it's not. And I think those guys have earned shots while adding depth, whether it's via the draft, the second or third wave of free agency to go out and help those guys. But like, I love the interior of the line right now. Yeah. Everyone says Lucas um, Patrick is great. Um, is going to be a great pickup. Cody Whitehair is really good. If Ryan Bates signs, I think you have a very good interior three. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that I, I'm right there with you in the patient approach to what's being done and more specifically what's not being done by mm-hmm. the Bears uh, in this free agency cycle. I have no problem with it. We just saw um, a general manager who loved to get impatient during free agency cycles yeah. and overpay for guys that were over the hill and didn't deserve guaranteed money. Yeah. Let's not do that again. We all love uh, the splashy t- names Ryan Pace went out and got, and then we ended up hating him by the end. Touching on a couple other deals here, uh, Russ in Denver, I don't know if that predates the last podcast we did touch uh, on that on the last podcast we did touch on Russ yeah. in, in Denver uh we did uh just kind of scratch the surface there of Matt Ryan and Indy I think it I love Indy, that addition a, a tough team in a in a cruddy division I, I really like that addition they can protect them run the ball effectively with Jonathan Taylor I mean it puts him in a position to have more success than he's seen since the 28-3 game um I, I hope that I hope that it, it makes for a interesting and competitive uh, latter stages of Matt Ryan's career because I've always rooted for him. I've always been a big Matty Ice guy. Um, but we may have buried the lead here in my favorite deal of the week, and that's sending 17 out of the dance Love division. it. Get out of uh, here. And now I'm going to root for him. I hope he does really well because he's I, fun I, to watch. I mean, he's so good. He is. Devontae Adams joining that offense uh, in Vegas. So I, I really want to – I really just want to pick your brain here, Matt, on like how you think this went because we're led to believe that Aaron Rodgers knew this was coming and it was going to happen and and it was regardless of the Rodgers deal, regardless of Rodgers coming back or not, Devontae had already said, I want to be elsewhere. I want to go play preferably in Las Vegas for my childhood team. I don't, I don't buy, buy that it. at all whatsoever. To me, what happened was is the quarterback got $50 million a year and then they couldn't pay everybody else, and they made this big idea. They tried to spin this big idea of this was just the way it was going to go. This is what Devontae wanted. We wanted to make him the highest paid player in the game. And mm-hmm. oh, we offered him. We offered him a deal that was even better and bigger than the Vegas deal. No, you okay. did it. Okay, I really don't think you did. I really think what happened was Aaron Rodgers had you by the short hairs. And you made a fool of yourself in the last year, and you had to give him the king's ransom that he wanted, and and then we can position it as a team friendly deal this year. Well, it's going to be forty four million against your cap next year. So how the hell do you pay Devontae Adams the twenty eight a year he was going to get in Green Bay and have forty two percent of your cap in twenty twenty three committed to two players on the offensive side mm-hmm. of the ball? It's impossible. Quit lying to me. I, I really think this was Rodgers wanted his money can't pay our star receiver. That's what it looked like to me. I think Devontae had been told by the Packers and by Rodgers, you know, we're going to take care of you. I want you to get taken care of too. I want to be back, you know, back here, you know, the two of us and and, and we're going to, we're going to run it back. And then Aaron Rodgers signs that big deal and Adams gets the tag slapped on him. He's like, Oh, okay. Um, Well, that's not what I was told was going to happen. And I mean, if he had had the tag slapped on him and negotiations were going well, I don't think anything would have been an issue, but that was not clearly the case. And he's like, all right, cool. Yeah. You guys do you. I'm going to get out of here. I want to go home. And I'm going to find I, I'm going to find that team and the Raiders It's going to pay me. I want to go home, trade me there. I think I, I think the Aaron Rodgers deal backfired. I, I think they assumed that Devontae Adams would just be like, all right, yeah, cool. Like, let's figure it out. We're going to figure it out. And then Rodgers signed his deal. Adams made, pretty much figured out that it's not going to get figured out because they just can't pay him what he deserves. And yeah. said, all right, cool. I'm out of here. 
I am uh, very excited to see him in the silver and black. Just as excited I am to see him to to not not see be him in the green, in and the gold. yellow, the yellow and green, green and gold, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm very excited to see what uh, what Aaron Rodgers can rub together. Now we say this, and we've said it every year: they're going to draft a wide receiver. They usually don't, but they kind of have to this go around uh, with Marcus Velda Scanling leaving. Like there's they have no, to. there's no one. There's no one there. Who are the um, first? So, so, who are the first round receivers this year? The two Ohio States, uh, Olave uh, and Wilson. Yeah, like, Olave Wilson, Drake one. London. Okay, um, he's not like Olave. Uh, SC. Uh, Those guys will. Who else? Well, I guess the Pack, the Packers have the Raiders' first round pick, correct? Uh, yeah. Yes. Twenty. Which is twenty six, I think, something like that. Yeah, the Raiders are not like it's not like they're picking way early. Like they're yeah. They're, they made the playoffs. They're towards the back end of it. They're going to be in the 20s. I, Wilson, London, uh, if someone's going to reach on Jamison Williams, maybe in the first round, even though he blew out his knee in the national title game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kid from Arkansas dropped off the map after some bad numbers, Traylon Burks. Mm-hmm. Olave's up there. Um, Jahan Dotson out of Penn State. George Pickens, people like out of Georgia. Uh, and then you get into some more of like the Western Michigan Sky Moore, North Dakota State, Christian Watson. So there's there's depth in wide receiving talent in this class. Green Bay has to go take one of them, but you could take all of them. You're mm-hmm. kind of replacing the connection that 12 and 17 had. I very much agree. Uh, it looks like the Packers pick first 22nd. The, the most recent mock draft okay. I'm, I'm seeing has them taking Chris Olave. If Chris Olave drops to the 20s after I don't think he's there combine. at 22. I don't, I, I don't you know, think like, so at all. Chris Ola- Tell me there isn't a more reachy, like Chris Olave, name brand at the position, played at the name brand school. We all saw him on the biggest stage. You know one of these talent evaluators is going to reach on him. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I don't even know that it is a reach. I think Olave is going to be fantastic. Um, he fits the mold of like smaller burner, and small is not the word, but slighter burner. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think he's – I think – Somebody reaches that maybe doesn't even need a wide receiver because they get so they fall so in love with that talent. I the, don't know that he's there at twenty two. The Chiefs pick at twenty nine and thirty. I don't know where they would trade up to, but if there's a team that wanted to trade back and maybe you know New England at twenty one, if I don't know yeah. if Olave's still there, the, the the Eagles pick back to back fifteen sixteen. If there's a team that wants to take those you know back end first round picks and a, some sort of lottery pick and a fourth, I could see the Chiefs trying to go up and get Chris Olave to be their new Tyreek Hill. That seems yeah. like a, not that he's going to be Tyreek Hill because there's only one Tyreek Hill, but to be their Tyreek Hill replacement. Times are changing across the NFL, Matt. Devontae uh, Adams is out of the NFC. Off Let's season. go. Breathe that breath of fresh air and uh, go get us a North title. Why not? Let's do it. Uh, you got anything else for the people, Matt? I mean, I know we promised MLB deals, uh, Chris Bryant, Colorado, Good for him. Uh, I, think, Schwartz, I, think we t- I think we touched on Bryant last week. Um, yeah, I think we did. I think we did. Sox um, still haven't done anything, so that's great. Yeah, um, I, I don't love seeing them going to arbitration with Giolito over $200,000. No, it's just it's it's a bad look for a franchise that already has this reputation of being yeah. cheap. So, I, but, I, you know, it's it probably doesn't mean anything long term. It doesn't, yeah, it's not like – it's not like they're going to court for custody of the kids. Like no. they're going to court to figure out where the number should land. You know, it's it's annoying, but it's not like it's. I'm just more upset that they haven't done anything. Yeah, uh, I like the bullpen additions they made; those are nice. But like that, they haven't gone out and been like, you know what? We have some guys we might like in right field, but we know this guy's going to hit 280 with 30 bombs. We're going to go get him now. It, it, it's yeah. a little bit disappointing that they haven't spent to go do that, but that, they're still a very good baseball team. They're still the best team in that division. I don't think Carlos Correa uh, makes the Twins that much better. I, I, they, yeah, we'll see what they, they do. They need pitching and less strikeouts. Um, can you hit me with uh, some breaking news? A little breaking news drop here. Like breaking news. Like a little. New York has dropped or lifted all mandates. Kyrie's good. Oh, I saw that. Big. Um, that was expected to come down today, and it, it has come down. So that's big. Big for uh, my Brooklyn be, Nets future. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it brings them squarely. We've seen what happens when him and KD are on the court together. So um, I don't know that we see Ben Simmons at all this season. Um, what, why is, he, is why is that exactly? Uh, there's there's like a legitimate back issue now. Okay. I think like gotcha. he's he's having uh, procedures done. I don't I'm not oh, invasive, but I did not realize there was a back done. issue with him. I thought it was more yeah. of just a mental health reasons he was talking about i think it was both but i think he's um there or at least the news cycle has leaned into this 
herniated disc in his back now. So mm-hmm. um, Philly's still the team to beat in the East, but uh, it definitely makes things a little bit more interesting. I can't wait for the Matt, Easter Conference playoffs. They're going to be so fun. Do we have? Uh, are we? I feel like I don't know why. I feel like I'm forgetting my keys right now. Like, are we missing a big story? There's been so many stories. I don't think so. We have. A, I, I credit it. credit the the listeners. We have a whole bunch of mailbags. I think Rob Gallic sends me about one a day. Um, we, we have a lot of them. We're, we're saving up. We're going to load up and, and have you know West the Coast big Rob. mailbag blowout episode two fifty. But I don't think so. Um, the Blackhawks sold everything. They sold all they could at the deadline. They did a good job, but like they're not. There's nothing really much to cover with them there. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we covered it all. The Bulls are uh-huh. in trouble. <laughs> yeah, Bulls are it looks spiraling. Like, it looks like the tanks are just about empty. You know, um, that's so. You know, beginning of the year we said the goal was a home playoff series, and they're kind of right there. They're probably not going to get that, but they're right there competing for it, and they, they look like. Uh, everything this year to me was like kind of a year early and we saw what they could be and they, they needed DeMar DeRozan to be an MVP for them to be as good as they were. And he's not playing like an MVP anymore, even though he's very good. The Bulls still need to add a legitimate star. This has been a, a nice year for some of those pieces, but they're a legitimate star away from being a title I've been, uh, I, I've been thoroughly underwhelmed by Vooch. I think Vooch that just played like absolute trash lately. He's Agreed. small. He uh, he hasn't done exactly what we've brought him in to do, uh, and I don't know if it's almost like he's classically conditioned to. Hey, it's March. I'm usually in Orlando, and this doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a part of it, but like it matters right now, pal. He's Let's been go. he's been underwhelming. I think everybody else yeah. have been fine with. He's been the like he was the piece they brought in last year that needed to be you know their star big man, and he's only that star big man you know one out of every three or four games, which just isn't going to yeah. cut it. He disappears. Uh, and on often. that note. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. We appreciate you guys, as always, for tuning into the Moose and Runes podcast, this episode 246 of the pod, inching closer to 250. Uh, inching closer to the Masters. Inching closer to the Masters. It's a uh, quarter century would be 25. What would 250 be? Quarter millennia? Yeah, quarter millennia. Whatever, yeah. whatever it is, we're getting closer to it. Uh, Masters time is around the corner. Dell match play this week. Ton of fun uh, for our golf fans. You got a quick um, pick for that? I know we've already I started. Filled, I, I filled out a bracket, and I had Burger winning the whole thing. So um, I, I, He was a hot pick this week. I think I was Burger versus Casey, and Paul Casey just WD'd. So uh, that. that's how yeah, things are out. going for my for both my basketball and uh, golf brackets here in March. But uh, I had we'll JT have, beating uh, wrap somebody. Wrap up next week. Nice. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's been in great form. Uh, we'll have uh, heavy golf next week. I'm sure there'll be more free agency news to cover as well. But for now, he is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, think about it, people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was... Awesome! Chicken on the stick was phenomenal.